Hello, and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what 10 or so pieces of music mean the most to them and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is the producer-engineer. Dr. Todd Chambers is also host, but not with us today. Ms. Lindsay Coronado, one of our students, is our researcher. I'm David Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college, and the originator and sometimes host of Tops 10. Today, I have with me Tibor P. Naj, Jr., Vice Provost, Texas Tech University. Ambassador Tibor P. Naj Jr. has been Vice Provost for International Affairs at Texas Tech since 2003 and also teaches on contemporary Africa as well as global issues. Ambassador Naj has advised two presidential campaigns, and previously he was U.S. Ambassador to Ethiopia, Guyana, Deputy Ambassador to Nigeria, Cameroon, Togo, and other overseas posts included Zambia, the Seychelles, and a previous tour in Ethiopia. I do not see Paris or London no, there. It wasn't by design. You, you, got, you got the tough assignments, didn't you? Yeah, but you know what? Those well, were the absolute best. I, I, I believe you have more stories to tell than the people at, uh, at Montreal. Or, yeah, or, exactly. Or, or, <laughs> or Geneva. Geneva, that's right. <laughs> Ambassador Naj was born in Budapest, Hungary, and had arrived in the United States as a political refugee in 1957. He received a BA from Texas Tech University and an MSA from George Washington. In addition to hundreds of classified reports he wrote as a diplomat. Well, how do we know you wrote them then? If it's gonna well, they're going to be declassified pretty soon. 50 years, right? Uh, it, it depends on the classification. That was some, some will be uh, declassified as early as 20 years, but some will never be declassified, depending on the subject matter. That's, that's sort of exciting, I, I think. Yeah, except even the, 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 those other ones, I wish that they were declassified sometimes so people could see my track record and, you know, how predictive or how how good my analysis was. You know, there are trucker songs, but there's not a lot of spy songs. No. I noticed none of your list had a spy. It's like spies don't get their own minstrels and bards and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Ambassador Nash has published articles also on the work of ambassadors, the life of diplomats, Africa, and a book on international management. And you've received many, many commendations, including in 2012, a Life Achievement Award from the Texas Africa Business Summit and an honorary doctorate from McKellie University. In Ethiopia. I got it right. Yeah. You did. I studied. Yeah, I studied. You did. Now, try to pronounce Hungarian words. In fact, <laughs> Ambassador, let me start out that uh, for those of you who uh, are not of a certain age, uh, Hungarians have always had a sort of special reputation in Europe. Now, Hun, coming from the Huns, Huns and yeah. Gary, coming from the Magyars, yeah. uh, two uh, appalling, <laughs> brutal, <laughs> and vicious invading yeah. tribes that came into Europe and lay a swath of destruction and then peacefully settled in the what is now the Hungarian well, plain. Yeah, they were made to peacefully settle. I think uh, one of the German emperors, I think it was, I, I believe, Otto the Great, 900 and something, uh, had a battle against the Hungarians in what is now eastern part of Germany, beat them pretty well, and after that the Hungarians said, okay, we're done uh, with the looting and pillaging. But Hungary was one of the great uh, states of the Middle Ages. Sure. If you ever took look at a map of the yeah. Hungarian Empire, reached certainly f- far south into the Balkans and to the Three west. different seas uh, at the greatest extent under uh, King Matyash. 
And the Hungarian language is known as a language that nobody can understand except Hungarian. They say they speak it in heaven because it takes an eternity to learn. Now, the other reputation for Hungarians is, as a very cultured Central European people, there's a, there's a line, and I, I was forgetting whether this is from Barbara Tuckman's Guns of August, that when war was declared all over Europe in August 1914, yep. spontaneously at every cafe in Europe, people stood up and sang the national anthem to the tune of Hungarian violinists who were employed by the cafe, that all over Europe, everybody had a Hungarian violinist. And that's, yeah, that, that was true for a while. Now there are not so many around because there are not so many Hungarian restaurants and cafes around. But so the Hungarians have a reputation for culture, for uh, literature, and for music. And math. And, and I was about to say, in, in the world of math, one yeah. of the ways you rate uh, a mathematician is the, the Erdos score, apparently. And this was this very famous Hungarian mathematician, yeah. Erdos. And the closer you are to having published an article with him, the more highly rated mathematician you are. I, I guess. I'm not yeah. being a math- well, I mean, but the, and, We also have the Rubik Cube, then the, um, then the folks, unfortunately, who worked on the um, atom and the hydrogen bomb, Edward Teller. And if you go to Hungary, Hungarians will tell you that almost anything significant was invented by a Hungarian, which of course is not true, but it makes for a good story. Now, speaking of uh, Hungary, uh, you're, the first uh, p- piece of music that you listed for us is a song, Only in America, by yeah. Jay and the Americans. Right. And this song came out in the 1960s. It was re- it b- became big in the chart in 1963. Um, was originally meant for the group The Drifters, and it was often associated uh, and very popular with uh, Cuba because mm-hmm. of uh, communi- people feeling fleeing yeah. communism from Cuba. Yeah. Now, you came to, ni- to the United States in 1957. 1957. Exactly. You were a uh, young child. Yep. Your parents seven years you. old. And of course, a lot of people don't remember now. But uh, speaking of torn from today's headlines, yeah, uh, there was a an attempt in Hungary to liberalize, to throw not not throw itself off from communist domination. But, well, it was t- but ten today. days that ten days that shook the world. Uh, yeah. That's what it was called because for ten days Hungary actually gained its independence from then the Soviet Union, i.e., Russia today. And my dad was very active in the rebellion. He was a colonel in the Hungarian army. Uh, He was actually responsible for uh, opening up some of the political prisons in Budapest and letting them out. Uh, He was one of the ranking officers of the revolution. And when it was crushed, thanks to thousands of Soviet tanks, he had no choice but to to take me out. Sometimes people like us who live in countries which are essentially at peace within its own borders and you know our definition of repression is maybe a tax we think too high (laughs) it's hard to think and just Uh to conceive of the bravery of people who in a small country take on what was then one of the two world superpowers and defy them for 10 days. Yeah. Well, Hungary's misfortune is being between Germany and Russia. And there's a wonderful African saying that when elephants fight, the grass dies. And throughout history, unfortunately, Hung- Hungary has been the grass in many instances. Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep upon her and wake up a Without a cent, 
up, get a break and maybe grow up to be president. Only in America, land of opportunity, yeah. Would a classy girl like you fall for a poor boy like me? Only in America, and a kid who's washing cars. Take a giant step and reach right up and touch the stars In America, would a dream like this come true? Would a guy like me start with nothing and end up with you? So did this song mean something to you because it, of that? Well, if for, for a number, yeah, a number of reasons. Only in America, to me, uh, meant that uh, it's a tremendous piece of fortune and privilege to come to the United States because here you literally can uh, grow up to be anything you set your mind to and uh, you can achieve most dreams. In Hungary, because my dad had been in prison, uh, I probably would have been taken away from my mom. I probably would not have been allowed to go to college. And my uh, career would have been probably working in an industrial factory manufacturing widgets you know end of ambition coming to america on giant the, bad yeah, design yeah, widget, widgets absolutely. that creaked and yeah. collapsed pretty quickly but what, well, i'll never forget uh, coming to america we were expedited by the american embassy in vienna austria i had never I had no idea what an American embassy was, but the more we visited there, the more I realized how neat these people were. And I thought at the time, if I ever make it to America, I would also like to be an American diplomat. And that dream kind of stayed with me always. And as we know, some dreams do come true. What is a diplomat? Well, a couple of definitions. You represent your country and you try to uh, express to the people that you are representing to the best intentions of your country and communicate back to your country what makes the people where you are, you know, tick. But one good definition is a diplomat is someone who tells you to go to hell in such a way that you look forward to the trip. And I assume you've had to do that in some of your postings. I have had to do that many, many times. Did you ever, in some of these assignments, go, oh my gosh, this maybe this wasn't the, the right choice? Maybe looking at a rioting mob throwing rocks at your actually, window? Uh, actually, you know, we, we have had that happen. I've had 10,000 Ethiopians throwing rocks at the embassy. And to this day, at my desk here at Texas Tech, I still keep one of those rocks to remind myself of what a real crisis is. And today, you go back to Ethiopia all the time and have Absolutely. wonderful relations with the people in the Absolutely. government. Absolutely. But when I arrived there, it was quite a different story. This was when the communist government was no, in No, 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 no. The Ethiopians were very unhappy with America because um, there was a war going on between Ethiopia and Eritrea, and we chose not to take sides, even though the Ethiopian cause was clearly the right one, but I arrived there with very strict instructions to be absolutely neutral, and it was extremely difficult to do that, and the Ethiopians just could not understand why the Americans couldn't see, <laughs> see that, that the justice was on their cause. So It seems like that's the case a lot of times, that somebody wants us to do one thing, somebody else wants us to do the opposite, yeah. and if we do neither, then both sides absolutely. are very angry at us. Absolutely, absolutely. 
and and I spent most of my my career in Africa in that situation. And one of the songs that's coming later is is a good portrayal of that. Well, the next song that you mentioned is "Theme from a Summer Place," yeah. which was from a movie starring Sandra D and Troy Donahue. Troy Donahue is probably uh, more famous for showing up in Incarnations and Simpsons episodes, among <laughs> other things, along with Troy McClure and other actors. But what does theme from a summer place mean to you by the Letterman? Yeah, it's it, it's a very important song because uh, I had a summer place for many many summers. Uh, my first year in the United States, our sponsors from Care International uh, sent me off to a camp in Western Pennsylvania, paid for it totally, where I actually learned English. And then I went back to that camp summer after summer after summer. For this was an American summer camp, American kids. Yeah, Western Pennsylvania. I went there with just not off a, the boat from literally, Hungary. Literally, how, off mu- the how boat. much English did you know going N- to camp? Almost, there? almost nothing. And how old were you? Uh, I was seven years old. That's and a good time it, it's to a good be immersed. Time. Six weeks later, I was pretty well fluent, and I went back to that camp for 13 years all the way through university, through Texas Tech, and worked my way up uh, to be a member of the senior staff. So that place stayed very close to me, and I'm still on the board of the – I'm on the camp board there and go back uh, every summer to help out and and contribute uh, because it was – played a tremendous influence in my life. How did the other kids react to uh, a kid who didn't speak English from a country they never heard of? Well, it, interestingly, um, people did know about Hungary because of because of what events. was going on, and um, and interestingly, was there enough, sympathy for you? Oh, yeah. great deal of sympathy, and, and kids took me in hand. And uh, interestingly, it was a YMCA camp, but about thirty percent of the kids were Jewish, so I learned everything you know about all of the different faiths, and that uh, people actually could get together and uh, get along. Where's a summer place Where it may rain or storm Yet I'm safe and warm Within that summer place Your arms reach out to me Sweet secret of a summer place is that it's anywhere when two people share all their hopes, all their dreams, all their love. Now you said you went to Texas Tech University. I and, went and to Lubbock Texas. Tech. Now That's ha- right. please explain. Now you now. Texas Tech was a good university. It was Texas Technological College. College. And how did you end up? Well, I was going to be a world-famous architect for a brief period of time, and I went to the American Institute of Architects and said, where is a good school of architecture that is not very expensive? Because we were still quite very poor, and I was going to be paying my way through college, mostly. And they said, there's this place in Lubbock, Texas, called Texas Technological College. I had never heard of Lubbock, Texas, or Texas Technological College. But it fit the bill. It was cheap, had a good reputation, and I got on a plane and landed here and... 
coming into town. I kept waiting to come into town and kept waiting to come into town. And from my point of reference, I never did come into town because I was just used to the European cities and the East Coast cities. And uh, But very quickly, I got to really enjoy Texas Tech, uh, loved the area, changed my major after a couple of weeks when I realized that to become an architect requires real work. <laughs> you can't wing it. <laughs> Are you saying that diplomacy requires a little winging? Well, you know, let's let's go with what our innate talents are. Let me put it this way. I did not have an innate talent to become an architect. And I think a lot of people whose homes did not collapse because of my design can be thankful for that. Truly thankful. Thank you. <laughs> Your next song is a very famous one uh, coming up, 50th anniversary this month of their performance in the Ed Sullivan Show, I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles. Right. Something I think you'll understand And I say that something does this song mean to you? Well, I, I, I think anybody in my generation um, had to have been impacted by the Beatles' appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. It was shortly before I came to college, but it was like a the famous paradigm shift. I mean, it's like culture, civilization, history, everything changed with that appearance. Uh, from that point on, uh, I think people of my age just didn't look at things differently. I mean, we did look at things differently, and there was an immediate chasm between us and the older generation. And it was just a huge influence on uh, on music, on dance, but on culture overall. So, uh, so I'll, I, I still in my mind vividly see that night on the Ed Sullivan Show with the Beatles band standing there and playing I Want to Hold Your Hand and all the girls in the audience screaming their heads off and just about every guy my age in the country saying, oh my gosh, we have to grow our hair out. That's interesting you should say that about changing the world because a lot of people talk about the long 60s being really starting in 1963-64, the Kennedy assassination yeah. being one historical marker. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis, before right. that, the cultural changes, the Beatles, the new kind of music, really lasting till the early 70s before sure. there's another shift in, in the culture. Sure. Uh, you're, you're talking about another motivation, which was uh, people seeing a physically a change in the way yep. people are dressed. In fact, if you go oh. back, and I've done this myself for some oh. other study, you look at advertising and you see a real shift. It, it, advertising always takes a little longer to change, but you start seeing different clothing and, and different haircuts. Yeah. Did it, you did you suddenly grow your hair long in ab, uh, Yep, absolutely. 64? Yeah, absolutely grew my hair long and a couple of other things happened. I remember that. Literally from one summer 
to fall, the pants went from being skinny on the bottom to the bell bottoms and the psychedelic colors and uh, things that guys would have considered totally unmanly a couple of months before, you know, putting on. My gosh. Did you, know, you ever did wear you? beads and Robin sandals, Ambassador? Is there no. a picture somewhere? Now, see, I want to point out that you and I, you're, you're a little bit older than, than I am, I think, a couple of years older than I am, but, but you and I are both of an age where our youth did, was not uh, accessible by iPhone and Facebook. Thank God, so, yeah. you know, we, we, all the embarrassing things we did are, are either unphotographed or buried somewhere. They're, they're, they're definitely the bell bottoms, the beads, no, but definitely also putting the, uh, the peroxide in the hair to turn it blonde. And it was uh, it was pretty long. Well, did it work with uh, girls? Absolutely. Your smile. I want to point out what a what a deep, rich smile you have right now. Is is your your spouse uh, listening to this? Point to her. When did you meet her? <laughs> I actually I met her at Texas Tech. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. I was in Sigma Nu fraternity, and she was. Um, uh, was she impressed she was a, by your long hair and blonde highlights? Uh, obviously, something must have impressed her because we ended up dating and getting married, and that was 42 years ago. So, well, Congratulations. Yeah. That's wonderful. It, was she uh, uh, American? or? Oh, yeah. She, no, she was about as uh, Texan as you could get. Oh, mixed marriage, then. So yeah, absolutely a mixed marriage. She was from Lockney. She is from Lockney, Texas. Her dad was a, a cotton farmer. Wow. And as I said, when I came to Texas, I really uh, enjoyed the totally different culture from what I'd been used to on the East Coast. And I felt very comfortable, very much at home with, uh, you know, the small communities. My roommate was from Abernathy, and Abernathy literally in, uh, adopted me, you know, as a resident of Abernathy. I got to know, I think, just about everybody in that town. So these little towns in West Texas, um, I grew very fond of them. Yet I see no goulash chains in the United States. No. All this wonderful Hungarian cooking, it is not caught on in any way. No, you know? it's, it's the antithesis of Nouvelle Cuisine. So I, it'll probably take another generational shift to go back to that heavy cooking. Well, maybe in retirement, you know. You know <laughs> yeah. Tibor's goulash stand or something. There like, you go. Like, old like, Budapest. That's that, old, that sounds very good. <laughs> Light My Fire by The Doors. Very, very famous song, along with I Want to Hold Your Hand. Um, the song is on the list of Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time, number 35. And it was seen in a lot of TV shows at the time, American Bandstand, another show we haven't Yeah. Uh, long time. Did, where, when did you first encounter Light My Fire? Well, it, it, it was very typical of the songs that we danced to at the Fraternity Lodge for our almost weekly parties. And I had a hard choice coming up between Light My Fire and Inagata De Vida. Both fairly long songs, but but they were the typical ones. And Derek, ones. we're going to play the entire Inagata De Vida, right? I, mean, <laughs> no. just, I think it's well, 26 minutes yes. of it or something like that. No, no we're not. That's why I went with Light My Fire because I thought that there was, there was a little bit short. But but that was typical of the music, and it was the, the whole scene of, uh, you know, uh, psychedelic music or or what came to be called hard rock, uh, the colored lights. Um, disco ball? Disc, yeah. before well, was, that's before way the, before disco ball, but, but, but local bands that, that played these songs because it was pretty easy to hire a local band. And, uh, you know, other interesting activities going on that we will not uh, discuss. But we have pictures on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know that it would be untrue you know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come on, baby, light my fire Come on, baby, light my fire 
imagine uh, that this was also a song that young men thought, hey, this is a really good way to introduce myself and make some suggestions to young, <laughs> yeah, young, young women. Yeah, and, ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 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 a lot of culture is based on that impulse. That's right, especially at that age. That's right. That's right. Now, you graduated college. Graduated. And- I, I got my uh, four-year degree on the six-year plan. You were just ex- studying extra hard. Well, I I was act to be fair. I I did work my way through school mostly. Mm-hmm. So in addition to working at camp in the summers, I I delivered chicken. I delivered flowers for college flowers. Became a terrar- their terrarium guy, and you know did other jobs like that. So, uh, but it, it it took a while to get out because instead of picking a degree plan, I think I just took courses until I had enough to make it into a degree. And what was your first job? Uh, you mean after college? Yeah. Interestingly enough, my first, first job, federal government, general services administration, buying hand tools, being a contracting officer to buy hand tools for the U.S. government. I can tell you more about uh, the specifications for ice axes used by our troops in Alaska than you would ever care to know. And did they cost $3 million each? Or? Actually, interesting you say that. The U.S. Army insisted on um, – ash handles instead of a different kind of wood and it was about five times more expensive ash was five times more expensive than hickory it gave me kind of a less than wholesome respect for u.s government contracting practices all right well uh so i'm no doubt we'll get some calls on uh, why ash is absolutely superior in the in <laughs> the uh, in the uh, tundra climate to yeah, have uh, there now ambassador you don't talk about this a lot but you are a man of faith and you yeah. had mentioned that one of the songs that you felt meant a lot to you was um, be still and know that i, I am god, god. Yeah. by the celebrant singers right um because my wife and i my family and i have often just counted on God to open doors for us. Uh, you know, people ask me who was our career counselor, because in the State Department you, you kind of need somebody watching your career, and I always thought it was it really was God. We had um, very interesting assignments that came about in rather unusual ways. Uh, in my diplomatic service, I have to say that never once did I get a routine assignment. They all kind of ended up coming to me in, uh, in, in fairly strange ways. And then the birth of our triplets in an African hospital um, in less than pristine medical conditions was also, quite frankly, a miracle that the kid survived. You know, the fact of, of my wife almost dying, uh, finding a place close by through a good friend of mine. who Where was this? Well, we were posted in Zambia, no medical facilities, but right next door was, at the time, Rhodesia, still at war. 
they did have a hospital. I had a good friend in the embassy who worked for an agency that shall not be named. He was able to get us an airplane to get uh, Jane down there. And uh, This was during the guerrilla war. Yeah, exactly. Between uh, the then uh, white government of Rod- Rhodesia. Rhodesia and the, uh, and and the African many, guerrillas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. state uh, quasi state of war including big yeah. raids between the two sides and Absolutely. guerrilla groups and yeah. th- wow that that's a yeah. movie well it, but, but what was what was miraculous was that um uh, i can picture the, the birth brad pitt came, brad yeah. pitt right now yeah. oh yeah the birth came way war. too way too early oh. and uh you know you uh, knew you were going to have triplets no we were waiting for twins uh okay. we had no we had no idea that the third one was in there but it was uh they, and your they, son's, they have son's buddha and past have <laughs> actually we, actually we had quite a discussion about names she did not like the thought of attila Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> no, the, the the two sons are actually both in diplomatic service, and our daughter is uh, at, at Fort Collins, Colorado. But but she was less than two pounds, and for her to have survived in an African hospital where there were only two incubators, uh, you know, it was just miracle. It was just an absolute miracle. That is that is amazing. So story. so yes, uh, faith has played a very important part in our in our lives. You're asking me to tell you. Another song uh, that uh, speaks of travel and uh, I think faith as well, the famous Roger Whitaker singing The Wind Beneath My Wings. Yeah, and I especially like that version because Roger Whitaker is a South African. And to me, it illustrated that during a, a very, very difficult and trying time of being in Africa over 20 years, eight different postings, it really was my family. Um, you know that that was the wind beneath my wings. Uh, my wife, who did not have a formal 
Foreign Service posting was nevertheless, uh, you know, as much of a representative of the U.S. government as I was. She was uh, as much of an ambassador to many people in the country as I was. She traveled yeah, the I back roads. I want to say something there that I was I'm, it just happened to be reading a biography of Lord Halifax. Mm-hmm. who was a British government minister uh, before and during World War II and became ambassador to Washington at a very important time in British history, mm-hmm. 1940. And he was um, an upper-class Englishman. And at first he really stumbled dealing with Americans because, for example, he went to a um, baseball game in Chicago and he didn't li- he had never eaten a hot dog. He didn't know what existed. And he... <laughs> ate a little bit of a hot dog and left it on his chair in the Chicago Tribune, which was an isolationist paper, blew up a photograph of that hot dog and basically said, you know, English Lord, too high and mighty to eat our, our hot dogs. His wife, though, was apparent, although she was an upper-class English mm-hmm. lady, sort of understood Americans were different than, than upper-class Englishmen, and so she went out of her way to just, you know, drop by people's house, you know, have, uh, you know, chats and have people over for tea and be just extra friendly did, did you find your you and your wife have were a team and i think yeah, a lot of absolutely. people forget that that yeah. behind every ambassador male or female there's yeah. often a, a family that has to adapt to a local culture and 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 genuinely reach out to local people yeah, absolutely and uh, living especially in the hardship places we lived in can be extremely tough on a family some families get pulled apart some families become even more close and and i felt like we became much closer as a family unit and uh, sometimes the kids even but but mostly Jane went along with me on these god awful trips up country bouncing along roads that Americans just cannot imagine having to eat food where you hold the uh, the you know warthog stew where you literally can hold the piece of the warthog with the hair that's still on the warthog and and smiling still makes a good goulash though right? it still uh, makes a wonderful goulash and if you put enough hot pepper in it it is quite delicious but uh, you know just did she ever just turn to you occasionally and say you know I think Ottawa or London or Paris might just you know just just one one assignment actually interestingly enough no uh, because uh, we knew that uh, we were we were having the kind of adventures that very few people in the world can ever have now yeah when she's driving the our our van with the kids in it to school and all of a sudden she turns a corner and there's an angry mob uh, throwing rocks and they come running towards the the van and she does a phenomenally quick U-turn <laughs> and the back window gets smashed with the rocks and the kids come home that afternoon and say, Dad, Dad, you know, guess guess we had fun today. Or they're at school and every day the uh, police helicopter goes over uh, to uh, drop tear gas on the university, which is right next door, I mean, on a daily basis. And they get to the point where the kids wave to the cops and the cops wave back from the helicopter. And the tear gas kind of, you know, wafts over the... The uh, international school, uh, no, the, the, the family has to be together on this and has to have total buy-in on this kind of a career. Did you ever know that you're my hero? And everything I'd like to be. You are the wind beneath my wings. 
Ambassador, the next song that you mentioned to us was The Boy in the Bubble by Paul Simon. Yeah. And you talked about that this was a time you're in Africa, 1979 to 2002, very turbulent times very. you just listed. What would you say, besides your faith and your, your patriotism, and that this was your career and you were a professional, what kept you going? I mean, what was the real the motivator for you doing your job every day? I, I know I know in many jobs there's not an instant gratification. Of course, there's not a, a validation. I often say, uh, you know, the greater good never sends you a thank you note. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just a bill. How did you feel about your your job and, and what you were accomplishing? Well, yeah, yeah. Here's the interesting thing. You know, we kid about Paris, but um, at age thirty. I was I, I had a chance to be in charge of the embassy in the Seychelles. It wasn't very big embassy. There were like five people there, but I, but I was actually running the mission. And my counterparts, at you know, my colleagues who came in with me in Paris, were reading the newspaper, and their assignment was the fourth largest political party in France. There are very few jobs in this world where every day you feel like you're in physical contact with history, and that was one of the gratifications, I have to say, that we had uh, all of the time in Africa. That's why I avoided Washington. I I scrupulously avoided Washington during my uh, long service because, you know, you get satisfaction in Washington from getting your memo cleared by 23 different people, and they argue about where the commas go, and at the end of the week, maybe that memo has been signed by everybody. Well, in Ethiopia, gratification comes from helping stop a war or keeping people from starving to death. Um, totally different, you know, kind of uh, incentives. Do you think that uh, we pay attention enough to what the diplomatic corps thinks? Um, I was very honored to be asked by the State Department in 2008 to do a little tour of Central Europe, uh, Netherlands, um, Munich, a couple of other places to talk about elections and social media. And uh, I got to sit down for dinner and lunch with a lot of hardworking diplomats. And I, 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 please correct me, but I want to point out, as we all know, there are really two kinds of diplomats. There are people like you who are professional mm-hmm. career diplomats. Mm-hmm. This is your mm-hmm. your job. Right. And then there's other people who, for different reasons, being friends of an administration, mm-hmm. are appointed to be ambas- ambassadors. ambassadors. Yeah. And uh, they can certainly do good jobs, sure. but they all know that they need to rely or should know that they need to rely yeah. on, on the professionals. It was clear to me that a lot of the diplomats I met felt a little bit frustrated that they weren't being heard. Yeah. Were you in situations where you wish the government occasionally had read your memos? (laughs) Well, the the, the problem is, uh, if you're in a country that really, really matters to the administration, um, then they pay a lot more attention to you, as opposed to a country where, when I was in the Seychelles, we had to tell Washington that there was a coup going on, because they they didn't know, you know, it was just not in the in the press, and also different administrations react differently to the views of diplomats. Some people say, okay, these are the professional. Colin Powell, phenomenal. He understood. These are the professionals. These are on the ground. They know heck of a lot, heck of a lot more about country X than I ever will. So I'm going to listen to what they say. Then there were other administrations which basically said, if we want your opinion, we'll issue it to you. And, you know, you just have to adjust based on who's in Washington because you sign a, a deal saying I'm worldwide available so they can send you anywhere 
they want to send you technically. And as an ambassador, especially before you go out, you leave behind a signed but undated letter of resignation. So it, that any, is fascinating. Yeah, you it, leave behind a signed but undated, undated letter, letter of resignation, resignation that anybody at any time in authority so can say. So the Secretary of State, any time, can send you a message saying, Ambassador Naj, uh, you know, uh, I, I regretfully have accepted your letter of resignation. Please be packed Dated by this afternoon. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, please be packed out by this afternoon and thank you for your service type of thing. That that is remarkable. I yeah. never heard that. So so so, no, so basically, no. You have some choices. You know, you do make recommendations on policy, but at the end of the day, Washington picks the policy. And if you disagree with it vehemently, then you have a choice. You can either salute and implement it anyway, or say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I resign. And that's why um, uh, that song, uh, Boy in the Bubble, because that reflects South Africa during the apartheid years when we had an extremely controversial policy towards South Africa called constructive engagement that very few of us diplomats agreed with, and the Africans hated it and really could not understand how the United States, a country with a conscience and a democratic tradition, could follow a policy like that. But then it eventually changed, and we became the good guys again. It's a turnaround jump shot. It's everybody jump started. Every generation throws a hero up the pop charts. Medicine is magical, and magical is art. Think of the boy in the bubble and the baby with the babble in the heart. And I believe these are days of lasers in the jungle, lasers in the jungle somewhere. Staccato signals of constant information A loose affiliation of millionaires and billionaires and babies These are the days of miracle and wonder This is the long distance call The way the camera follows us in slow mode The way we look to us all, oh yeah The way we look to a distant constellation That's dying in the corner of the sky these are the days of miracle and wonder And don't cry, baby, don't cry Don't cry, don't cry The next song, probably one of the more famous uh, ballads that you've picked here, God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned how this uh, song arose, uh, was first appeared in 1984, and you've got a good love coming. Probably not the best title for the album, but a very good uh, title for the song. Uh, was played at the 1984 Republican National Convention, but then, of course, came in e even greater popularity yeah. in the 90s and, and through 2011. You were serving as ambassador to Ethiopia when 9-11 occurred. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the world literally changed then, and, and that's why I picked this song. And there was a direct relationship, wasn't there, between the events of 9-11, because there had been active al-Qaeda. Ab absolutely. I was in one of the more active countries, uh, because if Osama bin Laden was going to leave Afghanistan, he was going to end up in Somalia. Uh, we were targeted. 9-11 uh, came. It was an extremely traumatic time. Um, when you're the ambassador, you're also the mayor of the American community. And a lot of very, very heavy-duty responsibilities fell on me, including being the mayor of the American community means you're also the mommy and daddy of the American community. And I had to organize a memorial service, you know, 9-11 memorial service, just to 
try to tell the American community, you guys are safe. We're going to do everything we can here in Ethiopia uh, to keep you safe. And uh, and it was a probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do in my life was to organize that one. And at the same time, maintain a professional demeanor to the Ethiopians dealing with the Ethiopian government. The patriarch of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church uh, uh, it's a church with about 40 million adherents organized a huge memorial service. Uh, they had about 20,000 people come up for the, out for that. Again, I had to speak at that. Uh, just a lot of very, very emotional, trying, uh, traumatic events going on at the same time. And from that point on, of course, Ethiopia became one of our key allies in the fight against terrorism. That uh, has not all been made public as to what they did in those days immediately following and continue to do to this day uh, because there's a, a very strong al-Qaeda branch in Somalia that intends to do real harm to the United States and the Ethiopians have been the key country in, in combating them and making sure that they are not able to do the things that they would like to do. Well, I think we have you in part to thank from their transition as, as somebody who is in opposition to the United States to feeling that uh, they're, they have friends in the United States and being a friend to the United States. Well, that yeah, and circumstances helped on that because they came close to having another famine and it was the United States who responded to it immediately instead of having meetings and talking about it. And uh, that sent a very very positive message to the Ethiopian government that, hey, even though we may disagree on the policy, when it comes to starving people, you know, we're not going to hold that up on policy differences, so we're going to get our food on the high seas as quickly as possible. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Thank my lucky stars to be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly Today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. And returning to Africa, USA for Africa, we are the world. Yeah, um, that is an older song, but it uh, I think it applies to Africa because people think of Africa as a continent that bad news comes from. Uh, you know, they, they, they continue to look at Africa as a problem. And I think people should know that there's a new Africa out there that is much more of an opportunity. And the United States and others should be looking at Africa as an opportunity, just as the Chinese are looking at Africa as an opportunity. Some of the uh, world's fastest growing economies are in Africa. Out of 54 African countries, um, only four are neither pumping oil nor exploring for oil and gas. Uh, so it's going to be a much different Africa in the next uh, you know, 10, 20, 50 years than the last 10, 20, 50 years. And uh, we should be looking at it that way, and 
I hate to use the word exploit, but but absolutely exploit the opportunities that are there, and look at Africans more as uh, partners, as opposed to in a paternalistic way. Well, looking back at the last maybe 45, 50 years of not the foreign policy of the United States, but the, the way Americans view other countries, I've always been fascinated by how if you look at our popular culture, we seem to be stuck in imagery oh, <laughs> of yeah. other countries and continents. Absolutely. And, and one of the good examples I, ha- I have of this is um, the science fiction movie Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And I first noticed, and then I've seen it in so many other movies, when there has to be a cutaway shot of Paris... It's always the Eiffel Tower, sure. and it's always people in cafes eating, you know, baguettes and and, mm-hmm. and uh, coffee. And then when you see Africa, it's people running through the jungle, throwing spears at giraffes, as yeah. if there's no cities. You know, yeah. there's there's not there's nothing there, and it's I just know. just this empty, empty land. Yeah. And it's almost embarrassing. This is coming from Hollywood movies, but I, I think again, if you do prompt, and I've done some work about photojournalism in history mm-hmm. and looked at famous photographs, and it, you you prompt. Africa and people start thinking of famine and disaster. Yeah, blood diamonds now. Yeah. yeah. And forget that, yeah. you know, believe it or not, there's like advertising agencies and, yeah. you know, music companies and like there's actual things going on there that have no relation to disaster yeah. or doom. Yeah. Huge economic growth, young Fastest people. Fastest growing continent yeah. in terms of uh, Absolutely. GDP, right? And a lot of young people with the exact same dreams and ambitions that American young people have. And they're going to make it happen. So it's just something we need to... Um, we need to have a paradigm shift in our minds over how we look at Africa because it definitely is an extremely dynamic continent that's going to play a major role, especially economically. So so we need to be there to engage with them instead of just going, oh, those poor Africans. So we all must lend a helping hand We are the world We are the children We are the one to make a brighter day So let's start giving What do you think we should be doing to prepare for 
the changes that are occurring in Africa. How, how do we be a good partner to a country? We may not always agree on foreign policy. I, I'm always thinking, you know, we, we for... I guess really since World War I, we've talked about a special relationship between Britain and the United mm-hmm. States. Now we've had our disagreements, but there's still a lot of loyalty to that relationship. How do we build relationships with countries where we may disagree on individual cases in foreign policy, but we really see it in our interest to get along and to make sure both governments feel that way? Yeah, I, th- I think the key, especially with Africa, is to let our business sector lead. Because economic relations um, can do a lot to move us forward. And uh, most African countries now have had elections. They're much more democratic than a lot of other countries that we deal with, i.e. Saudi Arabia, China. And, uh, and and let me ask you, when, when, you know what? When, when I'm talking about Africa, I guess I mean sub-Saharan. Yeah, Africa. exactly. Is that what you yeah, mean as exactly, well? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. – I was reading somewhere recently about Egypt, and uh, a young person, a political commentator in her 30s, was just was saying, you know what, we can't break out of the 1980s here. We still have the same old, tired paradigms of military dictatorship mm-hmm. or religious dictatorship, and and everybody who's leading us is over 60, yeah. and it's, it's almost like we can't have any new idea in Egypt. And I'm thinking, yeah, but there's a lot of new ideas if you go south. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, countries like Egypt, remember, there are people who have never been citizens they've always been subjects and to make that transition is a it requires a huge kind of cultural leap um, sub-saharan africa there have been more cases of people actually being citizens and engaging with them we need to be more supportive of our private sector just like uh, the, the chinese have been much more supportive of theirs and uh, back off from seeing these countries as eternally developing and never getting too developed, we should set our policy on, okay, countries uh, that are least developed, let's set a 10-year timeline on, you know, how we can work with them to get them developed, and then close down the development agencies. You know, it's it's ridiculous that people go into uh, USAID, Agency for International Development, was a temporary agency. People go into there for 50-year careers. You know, <laughs> they should be turning off the lights. And and we just need to get away from that mindset uh, because that, that has a certain amount of neocolonialism, paternalism, even a bit of racism. That, you know, uh, we will always have to be helping Africa. No, that, that's not true at all. Uh, we can be engaging with Africa and trading with them and uh, making each other prosperous. And the trade doesn't just have to be about mineral wealth. Oh, right? absolutely not. Because you said yeah. business. You didn't just you didn't talk yeah. about you know yeah, pumping no. oil or diamonds. Yeah, because the extractive industries are, are, are not that great for anybody. And let the Africans add value to them. You can have a call center in Ghana just as easily as you can in, uh, in Mumbai. A different accented English, but... Uh, you know, at least uh, as, as good a job there as, as what we're getting. The final song that you submitted to us, Ambassador, is When I'm 64 by the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm guessing that you saw a different motivation to liking this song than you did I Want to Hold Your Hand. Yeah, it, it, it's funny, because now I am 64, and uh, when the f- song first came out, the idea of being 64 was, uh, you know, so eternally far away, 
And now being 64, and I tell uh, today's students this when I talk about careers, is that those years go by a lot faster than you ever imagine. And I remember uh, a couple of decades ago talking to my grandfather, who was then in his 80s, said, you know, Tibor, you won't believe it, but the, the further along you get in life, the quicker the years go by. And I have to say now, he was absolutely right. You know, each decade seems to accelerate how quickly the time goes by. So... Uh, so that 64, which seemed uh, forever away then, has has gotten here, and it's uh, a point where it's uh, it's a good time to just pause and reflect on the one hand, and and then look ahead and see you know what else can be done in the next couple of decades. May I say that you are remarkably jubilant, upbeat, and future-looking for for a 64-year-old. Aren't you supposed to be start getting cranky, and why why are things different today? Or? My family would tell you I was cranky a long time ago. <laughs> would you say some of the adventures you had have sort of given you a perspective about change and optimism and hope? I think so. Because, you know, at the end of the day, what, what has always amazed me is some of the worst places in the world, you find people with some of the greatest joy in their hearts because they take joy in what's really important. Uh, family relationships, God, uh, having, being able to eat, clean water, being disease-free, things that we have gone so far away from when people here are unhappy because they can't get the latest three-dimensional TV on their credit card this week. They have to wait a couple I had trouble months. downloading an app this morning. <laughs> I know, I and I was that. aggrieved. I know. Uh, <laughs> And it ruined my whole day until now. No, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I thank God that uh, that He allowed our, you know, my, my family and I to just see in this world what's truly important. And that's one of the reasons I keep that rock on my desk. If I uh, sitting here on the job and start thinking that, oh my gosh, you know, this is so stressful, then I all I have to do is look at that rock and say, no, this is not that stressful, because people aren't coming to kill you. You know, you don't have to have a mirror check on your car every time you go in the gate to see if someone put a bomb on there that's going to blow you to smithereens or maybe your kids to smithereens so it gives you it gives you a totally different perspective on life and and and, you know they take polls of of national happiness and it always amazes me that a country like nigeria which has its its share of hardships people overall are much happier than they are in the united states because they don't hassle about having to wait for two red lights because the lights don't work, you know, or that download the app because they don't have anything to download it on. But at the end of the day, their blood pressure is lower. Well, Ambassador, thank you very much. Uh, I think you've provided with us not only a wonderful view of a life well-lived so far, with so lots far. left to go. And I, I, I want to say to my, our audience, if you haven't seen the ambassador in person, please take a look at a picture. He is a very vigorous and youthful. I'm, I'm, I'm 13 years younger than you. I look 13 years older. Oh, I, no, think, no, no. I think I think I got to go have some adventures. I'm, I'm going to, maybe I'm going to ask my wife whether she wants to go to Eritrea for uh, our summer vacation. No, but I would yeah. recommend the Seychelles. The Seychelles. Yeah, go, go to Kenya, do the safari, and then fly uh, Kenya Airways over to Seychelles. Well, Ambassador, thank you very much. You you have inspired us as well as told us a lot of very interesting stories. And we, we're so lucky to have you at Texas Tech. And I think America has been very lucky to have you serving us all these years. Thank you very much, Dean, for the opportunity. And, and, and thank you for coming to Texas Tech.